today have various businesses in Australia, Dubai, UK and the Balkans. How did you become an entrepreneur and what set the process in motion? I've always been fascinated with the movement of goods and services around the world. I remember as far back as being in high school, watching trucks carrying containers, boxes that came in from overseas, wondering what was in those boxes and how did they get here. And likewise, you would read about Australian products being exported, and that fascinated me. I thought, well, there's something really interesting in this, you know, things coming from the other side of the world and arriving on your table as foodstuffs or building materials to build homes with, etc., that came from Europe or the United States, cars that arrived from Germany, and all of that kind of movement of goods and services really interested me. So that was my first you know, awakening, if you like. Yeah. Um, when it was? Oh, when I was in high school, I must have been about 14 or 15 years old when I started to notice these things and became interested. What was your first business? <laughs> um, I was uh, determined to do a number of things. I was determined to make the whole world my backyard, to trade internationally, and I badly needed a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> so they were my motivations <laughs> to become successful. One of your companies, uh, Iris Aviation, is a key player in the global market for educating pilots. Um, how did you find this uh, market niche? Yeah, well, I have um, a background uh, in all kinds of businesses. One of those businesses that I dedicated uh, considerable time to was in, uh, in digital media, creative media. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough uh, to be able to help build a very large digital media business, which we sold uh, back in uh, 2011. And having understood or having an understanding of the uh, international education market, and then coupling that with some aviation experience, because I'm a helicopter pilot. I, I learned to fly helicopters many years ago. I've had exposure uh, to aviation uh, since I was in my uh, early, uh, sorry, early to mid-teens. And um, so it was coupling those two things together. I saw an opportunity in aviation uh, to really go to the next level, mm -hmm. identifying an international brand and uh, really taking edu uh, the education from vocational to a higher education type standard. Okay. Uh, what helped you to develop this company into the increasingly high player in the market? Well, we're a relatively new, a new player in the market in, in terms of aviation education, we have a pilot training business and um, we uh, launched this business um, strategically. And most businesses are grown organically but um, this one I was very very specific in terms of what I wanted to accomplish and what kind of time frame etc. And so I launched this, uh, this aviation business in a, uh, in a way and, a, and in a model and a structure that would um, see it develop very, very rapidly. So it was originally forming a strategic uh, international brand, one that would be um, accepted by the international marketplace and through acquisitions, building, building the, uh, the business to a, to a point and then 
growing it from that particular point. Okay. So you started from Australia, right? Yeah, the first acquisitions I made were um, in Australia. And then uh, we moved abroad to make some further acquisitions. Um, what principles, what personal principles do you bring to a business? Oh, you know, I think nothing succeeds without being tenacious, consistent, persistent, and really sort of following your vision. And for me, I like to um, kind of follow my passion, things that I'm passionate about. I don't really work on anything that I don't have a feeling for. So I have a sense, a feeling, a liking, a specific passion. And all of these things that I do, I actually have a passion for. And on that basis, it's easy to pursue and easy to keep interested long term. Nowadays, many companies say that uh, they have a mission. Uh, what mission does Rihanna Group have? Well, my mission is that, you know, fortunately, I'm in a position where I really don't need anything. You know, I've, I've been able to accomplish, you know, pretty much all of the, uh, the creature comforts that, that people need. And I've always liked to strike a balance with things in my life. I often say to my friends, you know, how much lobster can you eat? Because in the end, you know, we only need so much. You know, if you look at us, you know, philosophically speaking, we only occupy a square foot of real estate in the world at any given time until you're dead, and then you, you occupy about six uh, square feet of, uh, of real estate as you go into the ground and then disappear. But um, so for me, it's about balance and knowing when enough is enough. So uh, philosophically speaking, you know, I believe that you have to plow back. You know, you, you struggle and you toil to get to a certain point in your, uh, you know, in your business career, in your career. And then at a certain point, you really kind of have enough. You, know, you can yeah. provide for yourself, provide for your family, do those things that you need to do, support yourself. And then it's about giving back to the, to the world. If you can, you do that progressively, even in a small way as you go. But at a certain point, you know, I think we mature to a certain level of success. And if you have that success and you, success, you have that comfort, then I think with that also comes a responsibility to give something back. Montenegro is quite a small country in comparison to other locations where you own businesses. Um, why are you investing here? Yeah, now I look at the, the world kind of, uh, you know, on a macro and a micro level. And I've been watching the progress of Montenegro for some years. I came here many, many years ago as a teenager as I was backpacking and driving, traveling around Europe. And I was immediately attracted to the area um, all those years ago, but uh, as the former Yugoslavia, which it was in those days, there was nothing that a foreigner, you know, a young kid from Australia could, could actually do here. Um, but I've been watching the progress of the country over the years and kind of waiting for the right time to move. You know, we sit here in Montenegro uh, in the middle of kind of 500 million of the world's wealthiest people. The people that live within a thousand uh, mile radius of here have the highest standard of living in the world. And what I mean by that is that you can turn a tap on and get relatively clean or totally clean water. You have flushable toilets, you know, you have health care within reasonable reach, emergency services. 
within reasonable reach, you know, social security type arrangements, you know, within reasonable access to most people. If you look across the world, I mean, most people in the world don't have these fundamental basics. So, you know, here we are in, a, in a, an emerging uh, country, an emerging economy that is, you know, kind of beckoning. You know, it's a region that's on the up and up. It sits in the middle of Europe. Everyone is working towards the same kind of European standards. They're all, they're clearly mapped out, whether it be building roads or healthcare or education systems. So this is a region that has a lot of room to grow. It's a small country, you know, nestled between a number of other quite significant uh, countries. It's kind of, you can be a kind of a big fish in a small pond in a place like this. It's easy to maneuver into and do things. Um, there are challenges, of course, but generally on balance, it's quite uh, an easy place to do business, to establish oneself and to do business. And it's those and many other th things, apart, you know, as well as the, the, um, the natural beauty and the, um, the willingness and the openness of the country to attract foreign investors like myself uh, that became attractive to me. Let's speak uh, a little bit more about entrepreneurship now. Uh, Ferdinand Porsche said that if one doesn't fail at times, he hasn't challenged himself. Um, do you think that business people shall learn from their own mistakes or from other people's mistakes? It, it's a combination of uh, everything, Sergey. You, firstly, you get knocked down, you get up again. You know, you don't stay down. Yeah, you just get up. It's, yeah. You've got to be persistent and you have to be consistent in your belief. You know, if you really believe it, you need to be persistent and consistent with it. And um, so it's, you know, that tenaciousness that gets ahead. You know, they say the world is full of uh, uh, educated derelicts. Yeah, and a lot of educated people that, you know, aren't that successful. And, you know, for, for varying reasons. I think a, a big part of that reason is not lack of intelligence or, or desire, but lack of that determination, you know, to get knocked down and get up again, to get knocked down. It's kind of the boxes, you know, um, adage, you know, you don't just lay on the floor, want the first punch you take. You know, you're going to get a lot of punches in, a, in, the, in the, uh, the, the, uh, the rounds of a boxing match. Um, but in terms of learning from your own mistakes, of course you've got to learn from your own mistakes. You've got to take stock of what you got wrong. I mean, that's how you progress. And also recognize that, you know, is that mistake as a result of something you did, a miscalculation or an error on your part? Is it something externally or is it a combination of both? Uh, you know, Confucius, the ancient Chinese philosopher said, the first step to solving a problem is to first admit you have one. A lot of people don't even admit that they have a problem. And so they'll never go very far in, t in terms of fixing that problem. So yeah, it's a combination of that. But you know, also, you know, I remember, um, you know, my father used to say to me, you know, at an early age, you know, learn from other people's mistakes. Don't burn your hand on the fire. Watch other people. If you see them making a mistake, especially if they get hurt, don't make that same mistake. You don't need to experience having your hand burnt on a fire to know that it's not good for you. You've seen someone else do it. You've seen the consequences. Learn from that. So it's a combination of things, really. 
Um, it is common for business people to have a mentor that helps them to achieve their goals. Um, do you see any downsides uh, in that for young entrepreneurs? No, I think it's absolutely uh, essential to have a mentor. I certainly had a mentor. Uh, my mentor, who's uh, you know, um, a long time passed away now, uh, is a fellow by the name of Kevin Kirby, who was uh, one of Australia's uh, most renowned industrialists. And uh, he was, you know, a, a wonderful man, but you know, very, very disciplined. A nice man, but very, very disciplined. And taught me many, many things. Uh, one of them, you know, uh, listening and uh, keeping my ears and eyes open as opposed to talking. He always used to say, you know, when you, you talk, you're only repeating something you've already heard. But if you listen, you might learn something new. So shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, which uh, one of the well-known entrepreneurs nowadays you can name that you admire? I think there's um, uh, a number of people that, um, you know, I mean, uh, I think uh, Steve Jobs was brilliant. Um, people won't call him an entrepreneur, but he really was, who, you know, had this vision, technical vision that, that, that he saw through. He utilized other people to do the technical work, but he had the vision and the ideas, um, you know, there are there are many, uh, you know, um, Ma Branson. Yeah. I mean, these are these are all wonderful, wonderful entrepreneurs, wonderful visionaries, and um, and have that uh, ability to look outside of the square and really see and smell opportunity. Yeah. I think it is about balance. Balance is actually the key word here because at every juncture you need to kind of take stock of where you are. It's very easy to lose yourself. And, you know, using an aviation sort of uh, um, aviation terminology or working, uh, you know, working through it um, in that kind of way to consider things. You know, you've got to understand where you sit in time and space. You know, you're sitting in the three-dimensional world up there and, you know, measuring where you are, how fast you're going, how high off the ground you are. Yeah. You know, situational awareness, what's happening around you um, are all important things. And as part of that is, you know, you're, you're trying to work out how you sit, what's your state of mind like, are you physically or mentally exhausted, are you able to carry the level of burden that you're, you're carrying without sort of damaging yourself. And of course, there are times where you lose focus and you know, you're chasing a project or, or a particular business interest. And so you're going for it hard and you don't really think too much about yourself until one day you find yourself just collapsing in exhaustion in a hotel room thinking, I can't do this anymore. It's just, you know, I'm exhausted. So it, it is about balance and taking stock as you go of how, where you sit in time and space and how it's impacting or impinging on your physical and mental self. So for me, I've always been pretty good at you know, striking that work-life balance and you know, um, having those experiences and little mini breaks as I go along. It isn't just all about you know, work, 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 although a lot of the time, especially in the beginning, it, it had to be. But finding that balance and taking that time off and being conscious of, of where you sit, 
what your mental and your physical health is actually like. Are you deeply exhausted or you're, you know, you're able to cope with it and keep going? There are 70 goals that the uh, United Nations has to transform the world by 2030. And you're the founding member of the Global Sustainability Network, which pursued the goal number eight from this list, which uh, aims to promote sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment, and decent work for all. What is it all about? And what is your personal uh, mission in this? So that comes back to one of the first questions you asked, yeah. and that is plowing something back. The uh, United Nations, all of the countries in the world, have endorsed the 17 uh, Sustainable uh, Development Goals um, for 2030. And the, in each of these goals, you know, there are crossovers and complementary um, elements, but they are all working towards making the world a better place. Goal 8 uh, specifically has a number of, um, of uh, uh, subcategories that, that focus on 8.7, for example, which is one that uh, a lot of people are interested in, you know, uh, around human trafficking and modern-day slavery and you know, the abuse of children you know, as, as, as workers in factories or even sex workers, sex slaves. You know, it's estimated in, in places like India, you know, 6 million kids are sold into sex slavery every year. So this is totally unacceptable. And, and the, the feeling is that any one of us that has the resources or the means or can make time should apply themselves to one of these 17 categories of uh, sustainable goals and help solve the problem. So um, in conjunction with uh, some close associates and friends, um, I became one of the founding members of uh, the Global Sustainability Network, which was founded uh, a few years ago, back in 2014. Uh, there was a joint declaration signed by the Pope and many faith leaders, uh, in particular, pursuing in particular Goal 8.7. And um, you know, we took on this challenge to pull together a group of, uh, of people from around the world, uh, various leaders from media, from government, from, from business, from education you know, and the like, to see how we could pool our spectrum of influence and resources to helping accomplish uh, um, these goals and diminish this burden, the scourge of, you know, of, uh, of things like <clears throat> modern day slavery, although there are many other, many other categories. You have invested in musical projects, so you have recording studio back in Australia and you also uh, had fame music. Um, what role does music play in your life? I've divested from all of my music business industries, but uh, I became uh, involved uh, in the music area, if you like, and music and film type production um, uh, due to well, actually, it started beforehand, but you know, it became more involved due to my role with the SAE Institute, this business that I was um, involved with um, some years ago. Um, and music has played an important role in my life, and you know, it is of course it plays an important role in many people's lives. But I think it's it's not something that you want to get totally self-absorbed with. You know, most people are looking to make a career out of music. 
who've attempted to make a career out of music will find it's a very hard road, and the same as kind of the same as the film industry. Uh, so I kind of think it's um, something that sort of kind of exists or should exist on the periphery. Mm -hmm. It becomes one of those hundred percent of things that you do or that make up your life. I kind of think for most people, music should make up, you know, a couple of percent, maybe five percent, maybe ten percent if they're really good of their life. And they should focus on a whole bunch of other things, their health, their education in other areas, their sustainability, you know, supporting their families, you know, etc. Home, food on the table, shelter, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think what happens is people kind of find it as an easy vocation to lose themselves in and kind of make excuses for themselves. You know, by, so I'm a musician, I'm pursuing my musical talents and that's what I want to be. Sure, you may be very, very talented, but the world is full of very, very talented people. Just go to Hollywood or go to London. The streets are awash with talented people that really don't see the full benefit of, uh, of commercial, the commercial talent that we see some get. You know, I think it's important to keep in perspective that very, very, very few, as a percentage, succeed at the very top level. And so that's fine. It's a fantastic thing, a fantastic hobby. You know, I play the banjo, for God's sake, and it's sort of a very mediocre guitarist. And, you know, I love music. I play music everywhere, in my flat, my home, my car, and whatever I'm doing. But again, it's about perspective and about, you know, work-life balance. I think everyone needs to work out what music actually means. So I became involved in these recording studios. It was a strategic acquisition. That, uh, that I'd made, uh, Studios 301, uh, which was uh, in Australia. Uh, we had two studios in Australia, one in Cologne in Germany and one in Stockholm in Sweden. In fact, the old ABBA studios was, became our 301 studios. And then I was also the founder of Fame Music, which was an online, online portal to support emerging artists, which still exists and still operating. But I divested myself of those interests um, you know, a couple of years ago now and have focused uh, on the aviation and real estate and, and other, other sectors, other investment sectors. Do you prefer books or podcasts? I prefer, you know, I used to read copious amounts of, of material and I still read a lot of, um, unfortunately, the, the more sort of business-oriented papers and publications and the like. Uh, but I prefer podcasts for the ease. You know, I'm, I'm addicted to YouTube. I love yeah. YouTube and I watch all manner of things. Watching the TED Talks, one of my favorite things on, on YouTube. There's a lot of inspirational people out there that you can learn from. But with podcasts and the like, you know, I like the idea of, you know, being able to put something on in the car during that down, yeah. downtime of driving or traveling, etc., and just educating myself. Can you suggest um, maybe three books or three podcasts or three YouTube channels to young entrepreneurs to, to follow with? Yeah, it might surprise you that the, uh, the things that I would recommend don't directly relate to business. They, they are more about self-improvement, positioning one's self in terms of the world and terms of how they should view the world. Um, Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle um, has a book uh, called The Power of Now that, that um, you know, 
had a big impact uh, on me. You know, when I uh, when I first read it and first heard it, I'd heard it on a podcast as well. Um, very, very uh, in the very, very early days, um, I think it was Norman Vincent Peale, um, who is a uh, a reverend. Uh, in New York, one of the uh, in the United States, and he wrote a book called *The Power of Positive Thinking*. And you know, I read that many, many years ago, and it had a really big impact on me because I believe in positive visualization. I believe in visualizing, you know, the outcome, and uh, you know, keeping the expectations realistic, and then moving towards that outcome. And so that was another book, um, you know, from memory that. You know, played a, you know, an important role in, in terms of starting to twig my thinking, if you like. Are there any philosophies that you live by? There are a number of things that, uh, that uh, I live by. I guess, you know, if you're looking at it in terms of priorities, uh, you, know, you know, one is you, you don't let the behaviour of others have an effect on your inner peace. You don't let other people make their problems your problem. And I think also that, um, you know, you've got to recognize that if you're on the wrong train, every station you come to is the wrong station and know when to get off the train and board the right train in life. But then also it's important uh, to consistently plow something back as you go. This is not just about taking, it's about giving. Okay, I see. Um, in one word, what does your life as an entrepreneur look like? In one word? Yeah. I think it's hard to define in one word, but I think um, um, philosophically, I try and seek peace in everything that I do. So I need to be peaceful with it. Okay. I need to be peaceful with the people, the situation. I need to be at peace. Uh, three questions. Um, what quality do you value the most in people and in employees? And is it the same quality? Um, work ethic. You know, believing uh, in the principles of you know fair and 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 uh, equitable yeah. behaviour. You know, taking a moral stance in terms of uh, the way that you conduct yourself with your business. You know, I don't believe in micromanaging employees. I believe that everyone should have it within them to do the right thing. If they're being engaged for a task or a purpose, then I believe without being watched, they will fulfill those responsibilities without, without being watched. So there's got to be some honor, mm -hmm. if you like, in that, uh, in that process. Uh, when last did you do something which you never done before? Last did something I've never done before. Yeah. Um, Hard to say because I'm doing lots of lots of different that's, things. That's <laughs> yeah, I hadn't been diving for a long time. I went diving in Sardinia uh, about a week ago, which was really nice. I hadn't okay. dived since I was in Thailand about five years earlier, I think. So that was that was something really very very nice. And uh, the last question: What is your motto? My motto. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it, it's not one thing. It's many, many things. It's kind of a lot of the, a lot of the uh, the things that we talked about. There are there are two pieces of literature that kind of sum up 
the way that I view the world. One is a, uh, a piece called The Desiderata, mm -hmm. and the other one is a piece called If. So if you have time, look them up. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. welcome. Thank you.